Hiya. You all right? Yeah, I just sort of pop by and see if you've got any plans for lunch. Not really hungry, babe. Hmm. It's terrible about Adam, isn't it? Hmm. So you've heard, then? It's the talk of the street. Gary, you had not to do with it, did you? And welcome to episode 133 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that wonders when the Weather Gazette is going to report an expansion to the landfill and Weatherfield to accommodate all the crime-related waste the residents keep throwing out. I'm Gavin. Ugh. And I just, I had a bad week. Oh. So I have, I have nothing, cle- I have nothing either clever or quippy to, to put in this space. We've noticed. Hmm. So how are you now? Yeah. Yeah. Grief is weird, as you know. Yeah. We had a friend die unexpectedly this week, so that's why I'm kind of off. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah. I don't know. That's... It just sucks sometimes, doesn't it? It does. It does. It sucks. But... Life goes on. And if there's one thing that I know she would have wanted <laughs> is for us to give our full college effort in episode 133 of the Talk of the Street. That's, I can say that with some true. certainty. And to be as smarmy and as sweary as possible. Well, we do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so here's to Nadine. Yeah. Well. It's kind of weird because uh, when... A little bit of Gavin Helen history here. Because <laughs> we met on a website called Scrawl. Yes. Which still exists pretty yes. much only in name. I don't think it's really very active. It's been more than a year since I've been on it, so I, I can't really tell. I was on this week. To get on to Scrawl, you had to pass through a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. It's a fiction. It's a, it's a writer. So, I don't know, the fact that, that you had to get through a gatekeeper is a bit... Arsy, but anyway, that's what you had to do to get onto the site. It was a writer's workshop, so they wanted to make sure that... Yeah, but I was a member of many other successful writer's workshops that didn't have a gatekeeper. But right. anyway, so she wasn't a gatekeeper, but you made your little pitch to try and get in, and she commented on it. She was the first person to comment on anything that I posted there. And she'd wrote a story. She'd wrote a story? So I learned very much. <laughs> good, good thing at Scrawl. Uh, she'd written something called, I think the opening line was, they lived at number 668, they were the neighbours of the beast, which I thought was quite clever. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah. I didn't, I, I had a I had a vouch, so I didn't have to deal with a gatekeeper. I was vouched in. Yeah, that's even worse, I think. <laughs> They've got a system where you can circumvent it if you know someone. Yeah. And I knew someone. <laughs> well... Story of my life. I, pr- I presumed that's what you. Story of my life. I presumed that's what you were getting at. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just you know when when someone around your age dies abruptly of something she didn't even know she had, 
it makes you step back and pause and think about your life a wee bit. Does it? Yes. Well, it made me. Because it's like, that that could happen to me, theoretically. Yeah, I don't think I've started to do that just because of this week. Well. You get, you get to a certain point. Oh, I don't know. This is far too <laughs> depressing to talk about. <laughs> we are not always depressing. Anyway, anyway, it is Christmas week. Yes, it is. This is normally our last one of the year. Yeah, but... Not this year. Not this year, because <laughs> we ain't going nowhere. We're stuck in this room for the foreseeable future. That's right. <laughs> Smells less like feet now, yes. now that the summer's over. Uh, yes. So that's good. And, and I've gotten the Roomba in here a couple of times. The Roomba comes in here and, oh, we should mention that... Uh, Helen has a fourth born now. It's a it's a Roomba that you've picked up, the second hand Roomba that you've picked up that uh wanders around the house with you pretty much following at the back of it. <laughs> Talking to it. Giving Not always. It, giving it words of encouragement. Not always. Sometimes Appa- I just sit Apparently that's a thing. Yeah. Other people I've spoken to who also have Roombas give them names. Yes, and dress them up. <laughs> and talk to them. Yes. I took to mine. That's what I said. Yeah. It's the best robot we have in the house. Is it the much only? more it's much more useful than 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 Surrey. Surrey's not really a robot. Well, she's an AI, in a way. Yeah, the Roomba doesn't have any AI, it just bumps into things then turns around. <laughs> it just randomly goes from side of the room to side of the it room. It seems to be learning though. I don't think it's fucking sentient. I don't think so. I, I think I think it's kind of learning the patterns of the house and the the because it, it's some of the things that it did in the beginning. It doesn't do anymore. It, it still it bumps into the door to the office, and then that's because it knows there's dirt in here. Wanders <laughs> wanders across the hall, bumps into the other door, wanders back. Bumps here and then starts to make a noise. Then you come running after, going, "Oh, what's happened to you? <laughs> Have you fallen over?" Yeah. Having 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 watched it try to get out from underneath a chair a number of times, I am no longer all that concerned about the robot uprising. <laughs> Imagine if the robot uprising was designed by Roomba. They're <laughs> <laughs> just wandering about, bumping into things. And- Falling over and being unable to write themselves, dragging cables along at the back of them. <laughs> I should say, I mean, I I got a slightly older model because I didn't really want one with all the bells and whistles that you have to, you know. Say, well, plus they're like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Go over here, go over there, do that. You know, it it's not one that has an app attached to my phone or anything. So, but it does the job and it's... It it takes care of something that nobody in this house seems to have the time to do. Plus, our Dyson is just the less said, the better. Yeah, it's not been right since we, since the first time we had to take it apart. Yeah, the number of things that this Roomba has been picking up that the Dyson hasn't been. Not that this is an, an advert for the <laughs> Roomba. Talking of which. The last thing you want to do, unless you are absolutely sure that you want to buy one, is Google search it. Because the second that you start Google searching Roomba, all you get on YouTube, all you get on any forums that you're on, 
the whole internet is taken up now by commercials for Roomba mm-hmm. and the shark, which I guess is made by the same company. No, I think Shark is a different company, but they make something. They make a robot vacuum cleaner as well. And somebody who makes a mop. Yeah, mop. Roomba makes a mop. Uh, a self-mopping. It, that's a square, though. That's a square robot. So you can tell the difference. It's more like I'm a still amused by the idea of a robot uprising by Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might just think about that for the rest of the day. <laughs> You're welcome. There's got to be a store in that, isn't there? There's got to be. Skynet. <laughs> Terminator would have been a very different movie. <laughs> had, had Roomba been involved in it. But it's great because there's... there's Arnold Schwarzenegger just beeping as he <laughs> bumps into one wall and then wanders across an alley and bumps into another wall. All the while, all the while a, a poor wee lady chasing after him, being sure he's okay. He's got a lamp cord tied around his leg. He's pushing a wee bit of cat shit. <laughs> pushing a wee bit of cat shit about the place. Because he ain't sucking that up. <laughs> He's just smearing it all just over smearing the floor. It. <laughs> Sarah Connor would have slept well that night. <laughs> yeah. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that. <laughs> Sucky Cory News. Sucky Cory News. <laughs> a few weeks ago, we mentioned Bruce Jones was once accused of being the Yorkshire Ripper. We did. Now, he's been interviewed in a Netflix documentary called The Ripper, which we've, which we've both watched now. Yeah, he's in it for about, what... Five couple minutes, minutes something like that. I was really disappointed in that. I, w- I, th- I, th- I would have thought that they would have gone into the fact that the police then accused him of being the Ripper and, and questioned him and everything. They don't. They don't really. No, you'd never known that had happened. Right. He just found a body. Yeah. Because there's some detail as to the condition of that body. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that made me feel for him because, God. To have that memory I know. and those details still kind of ingrained in your brain after all these years. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's horrid. Yep. And the way he kind of breaks down when he says that he didn't realize that he'd run over her with his wheelbarrow at first because, you know, he wasn't expecting her to be there. It was really strange. It's, uh, it's, it's not the best Yorkshire Ripper documentary that I've ever seen. Really? Yeah, and I haven't. I didn't really learn a huge amount from it. I don't think I appreciated that the police were kind of making a big deal about uh, the prostitution aspect that didn't really exist, yeah, or didn't exist as much as they they claimed it did. Right. But then, after the Bruce Jones discovery, the policeman says that this body was lying in plain sight, which obviously wasn't the case because he didn't see it because he ran over it with a wheelbarrow. And, so I, and I, everything I don't think I'd... I realised how botched a job it was. I, I, I knew it wasn't a perfect investigation by any manner or means, but it, it came across as a really botched job from this yeah. documentary. Yeah, Sutcliffe was interviewed nine times. Which I knew. And they kept letting him go because he didn't have a Geordie accent. Yeah. Yeah, that hoax thing really put them... Yeah, it really messed things up. Put them back months. And it's 
frustrating because the first three women he had Sutcliffe attacked who didn't die, mm-hmm. you know, said he had a Yorkshire accent, but because none of the three of them were prostitutes, they were ignored. Right. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Cody News. Cody News. <laughs> Speaking of Netflix, Sally Diviner's daughter, Phoebe, will be starring in a period drama called Bridgerton on the platform. So the apple has not fallen far from the tree and yet has fallen onto a platform where where people may see her. So well done to Phoebe. What's she starring Bridgerton? It's Br- like a Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Br- Bridgerton. Bridgerton. What's that about? It's a period drama about a woman in Victorian clothing running around. Looking for Sarah Connor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what these period dramas are like. I do. Yeah. But it sounds good. And it looks good. I just I haven't had the chance to watch any of it yet. So, Finally, apparently there are things even soap viewers are too squeamish to view, like the bloodless death of a villain. That's right. Ofcom received 12 complaints over the death of Tim's dad. Really? Seriously. Nothing. It, it was bloodless. Apparently, people thought that those chickens were actually pecking at him at the dead body, which didn't happen. That crossed my mind. They're I knew there. it didn't happen, but it crossed my mind. It was a kind of Hannibal thing where the guy gets eaten by the pigs. I yeah. thought, wouldn't it be, it'd be great if he was like, you know, just there and getting eaten. Right. The, the chickens are just the there. They're, not, they're just walking around. Nobody's pecking him. For God's sakes, people. How many people? Twelve. Yeah, well, it's hardly representative. No, this is true. This is true. Our mailbag. Now, I was clearing out old emails in the uh, talk of the street at gmail.com account. Mm-hmm. And I came across an email that we got in October Uh-oh. that I hadn't noticed, <gasps> that I hadn't read out. Shame. So I'm going to do that now. Ooh. It's a little critical. Uh-oh. And that's why I'm reading it. Because I don't want it to, to seem like I'm not, I'm not going to read out anything that's a little less than positive. Uh huh. So, Aileen writes, "Hi, I was disappointed that your assumption that Sam is on the spectrum in inverted commas because his interests don't conform to societal norms and lie outside sport, music, and being famous. Fifty years ago, after a man first landed on the moon, no one would think it strange for a child to be interested in space." It's sad that clever children are condemned to hide their ability when in any other field it would be lauded. Interesting, because that's that's not why I assume he was on the spectrum. His interest in space has nothing to do with why I think he's on the spectrum. And I feel like they've kind of toned it down down a little bit recently. Well, it seems like they've toned down like his interest in space and all of that stuff, but they have definitely jammed up the not being able to take social cues and bursting out saying things inappropriate like calling a woman who just lost her son a chicken <laughs> in a text oh yeah and, you know and and forcing himself into situations that where he is not wanted that's the sort of thing you know things that I witnessed when working with children on the spectrum at my job. So, but, you know, it is a fair point. I think a lot of people tend to see children who are intelligent and care about 
interesting things as weird. You know, boys who don't play sports, ooh, there's something wrong with him. Right. I think that the way that they had... We're kind of not like that, though. ...introduced him to me was, if I remember back to October, how the first thing that jumped into my mind wasn't, wasn't precisely that he was on the spectrum, so to speak, but rather that he was... Oh, we're going to make this character young Sheldon. Mm, yes. Because that's kind of how he came across. Right. And he still comes across that way to a certain extent. Yes. But again, not quite so much. Although he still has a horrible habit of wandering about Manchester on his own. Right. <laughs> and, 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 well, interestingly, you know, Chuck Lorre has in- insisted over the years, over the many years when people bring this up with Sheldon, that... He's very much not on the spectrum and insisted he does not have autism. So apparently that new show that uh, Kaylee Coco is on, the, the, the one... Flight with, Attendant. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm actually kind of interested in seeing yeah. that, or at it's, least it, one bit I've, of it. I've, I've heard good things, so we may have to figure oh, out... HBO Max, it can get to fuck. Now this. <laughs> I can't think you were supposed to have HBO Max. It's something that it's included in something. Whether it's we Verizon. pay for enough. We do. I pay for enough. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And welcome to Last Year Tonight This Morning <laughs> with me, John Oliver. <laughs> Just enough time to quickly talk about winter, whatchamacallit. This was even complaining about the winter, the winter wonderland mm-hmm. that Michael had built. She yeah. said that it'll look good when it's finished. He says that is finished. Huh. Yeah, and no, then she dragged no Cerberus winter, away. No winter wonderland this year. She dragged Cerberus away before he shot everywhere. <laughs> and then Arnold Schwarzenegger comes along <laughs> to try and, try and clean it up. I was Gavin and you were contrite. Was I contrite? Mm-hmm. What, what was I contrite about? Do you remember? I know it's the short answer to that, <laughs> but but I have more information. Uh, <coughs> you were late getting back from somewhere... And so, therefore, we didn't have time to record on Friday night. Oh. So we had to push it to Saturday morning, oh. which at that point was a was big it, deal. Yeah. Because it meant getting up early on a Saturday morning. Oh. Which as we've been doing to, now for 10 months. It's as, fine. As, as opposed to staying up very, 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 very late on a Friday night. <laughs> so, yes, that was back in the days when a Saturday morning podcast was definitely not the norm. There was a buzzing. It went away. It came back. <laughs> We went to the city Christmas party in town, party being used in the loosest possible terms. Remember that? It yeah. was awful. Yeah, I, I, uh, I had uh, pictures of it come up in the, my, my Facebook memory. What on earth did you take a picture of? Nothing happened. Of uh, Upstairs in the Red Ribbon Hall, uh, which is all spooky and creepy and stuff. Michael has turned that wee marketplace into the Rockefeller Plaza with only the help from unspeaking actors and that guy out of red. Yeah. Good job, Michael. Sally takes particular exception to Tim getting married in Vegas and then forgetting about it for a quarter of a century or whatever. <laughs> Ryan earns his easiest paycheck by delivering an empty envelope to a shortened Lenny while Gary's stock of furniture isn't good enough for Princess Maria. It looks like the writers are determined for Rita to have a lonely Christmas. Gemma has the biggest pram in Christendom and hopes maniac tendencies see her take out an arch-rival and <laughs> archangel Gabriel. Mm. Richard's desire for a glass of water twice might just be the death of him. Because he had to get, he dropped his glass twice, and then I, I think he pretty much died because of it, didn't he? 
Richard. Who is Richard? I can't Roy's remember. Roy's brother. Oh, yes, that's right. His name is Richard. Our moment of the week was Roy speaking to Nina through the letterbox of her dad's flat, and our boring moment of the week was Roy and Richard playing with that train set. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. This was a difficult week to take notes for. <laughs> because everything's interwoven. A little bit. Yeah. So Monday, I've got an awful lot smooshed together mm-hmm. that I've spread out a Shmushed. little bit for for Wednesday and Thursday, I think. So no doubt we'll have complaints. <laughs> but we will start off the week with Adam Fallout Boy, which I put in there as a placeholder that was going to change and I never changed it. Ah. On Monday, it's morning and the remarkable thing isn't that Adam hasn't been found yet, it's that his phone and me speaker haven't run out of battery. Right, but, and the blood seems to no longer be there. The blood that was pooling around his head. So it made me think that that was never blood. That it was like wine? That it was or, red wine that he was drinking. Or, but or was it red wine? Because I thought it was a Chardonnay that he picked up. See, I thought it was a bottle of whiskey. No, it was a wine. It was definitely a wine. Because he was drinking wine to begin with, but then when he went around the the corner to pick something else up, went around the, the back of the bar, and he was talking about it. It was a cheeky I, something, and the something that he said was a I was thought a he wine. said whiskey. I don't think Adam's the sort of guy that goes from grape to grain. Right. Okay, I was going to say something that would offend lots of Scottish people, so... I, I think I kind of set you up. I think I kind of set you up to say it. <laughs> you chose not to. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't want to offend our our Scottish audience. All all ten of them. <laughs> but it does allow us to enjoy a little bit of Laura Marling's Alexandra. Good song. Good album. If so, you say so. So anyway, Daniel's up early on the hunt for our Adam. Nina points out that the power cut will have thrown out everyone's alarm clock. That's a good point. Yes, she's very smart. Then Daniel sees liar cheat scrolled in red on the law office's door. Yes. Shame. 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 Ding, 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 ding. Back at the pub, Peter's home in a delicate state and not in the mood to talk to a distressed Carla. She wants him to go to the hospital, but he's not about to pander to her and says this is all her fault anyway. She's worried that he's hurt and then spots a wee smudge of jam on his white sweater that she thinks is blood and he doesn't know how it got there. It's a totally wee smudge of jam. It's a very small smudge on a very white shirt. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) What makes you chuckle at that? It's just, you know, things, things putting him in a white shirt intentionally so that blood will show up on it later. Yep. And it's just being like a little tiny, not even really anywhere. It's like a badge. Yeah. It's like a badge that he's got. You know, and when you think about when you hit someone with enough force to make them bleed, you would you would think that there would be more splatter. Splatter on the is front. a term that you see on the on the true crime channels. Yes, they talk about splatter quite a lot. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway. I thought it was paint. Yeah, I thought it was paint as well. Yeah. I thought, oh, that'll be him that's done the yeah that's done the law office. Me too. So uh, now Gary's vigorously washing his hands at home at the kitchen sink when Maria comes out of the bedroom, wants to know where he's been all night, and he says he's been out. <coughs> says he was driving, but she's worried that he's done in Ray. He says he was looking for him but couldn't find him. 
So then Peter throws his sweater in the wash, unsure of which setting to use for blood, and unsure of whose blood it is, except that it isn't his. And yet, and yet, it was only, what, two weeks ago that Peter was giving Johnny tips on how to wash things out of of clothing. Oh, what did Johnny have on his clothing? I can't remember. Was it chili con carne? <laughs> it was lasagna. <laughs> For the 1980s. What was Can it they you had? imagine a lasagna from the 1980s still hanging out somewhere? But it tastes good. <laughs> I've seen like twice last week pictures of of uh, jars of mayonnaise from like the 70s that people found like in their great grandmother's pantry cleaning it out sort of thing. Can you imagine that? Peter goes off for a shower and a kip and tells Carla that she's lost the privilege of worrying about him since she got her hole off of Adam. And an upset Carla insists that they belong together. <sighs> At Sally's, Faye comes down the stairs of Discovery and announces to Tim and Sally that she's not going to go into work today if she's packing the job in. Tim assumes that it's because of Ray Weinstein being a prick and trying to buy everybody's house. Realising that she's... Right. Realising that she's failed to discover anything, Faye goes back upstairs to try again. And then Sally gets a call from Kevin telling her that Debbie is working for Ray and Sally is ready to kill Debbie Flaming Webster. Mm-hmm. Sally on the phone uh, mm-hmm. was quite amusing. Yes. What? No. And she's like, what? Who? When? And she's like, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? Tell me. I enjoyed that immensely. Me too. Then Daniel, somehow frantic with worry, goes to number eight and knocks up Sarah, but not like that. She has no idea where Adam is and suggests that he speak with Carla. She also denies spray painting at Adam's office, insisting that she's more of a cut-up-their-suits type of gal. Now fucking jog on. So Daniel does indeed fucking jog on. Yes, he does. Why does he care? Because Adam is his best friend. Yeah, but last week he was tearing strips off him and ready to announce to the world that this affair was a thing. Yeah, well... And now, now that it's come out, even before Adam got twatted on the back of the head, mm-hmm. Daniel was running about trying to put out fires. Right. Well, that's... That's believable. You know, you've... When you, when you care about somebody, when you're close to someone, you feel like you're able to tell them they're being an asshole. But that doesn't mean you don't love them anymore. And that doesn't mean you don't care about their well-being. But it was more than calling them an asshole. He was ready to drop them right in it. He was ready to announce to the Rovers that there was a, there was a bit of ha-ha going on here between Adam and Carla. So it was like he was just disapproving. He was disapproving to the point where he was wanting everybody else to jump on the disapproving bandwagon. Yeah. Well, that's just Daniel, isn't it? Daniel's a dick. <laughs> so, Ray and Debbie go into the bistro and they're chatting away and then they find Adam still sparked out on the floor and Debbie goes off to call an ambulance. Then we see Sarah, Carla, Gary and Faye all watch the ambulance pull away. No one is especially giving a fuck about it, with Faye and Gary speculating that it could be Ray. Now pissing his pants frantic, Daniel rushes to Sarah and explains that it's Adam Watts in the ambulance. Someone's attacked him in the bistro and it doesn't look good. He assumes that Sarah will be wanting to go to the hospital and he rushes off to tell Ken and to have a pee at number one before his trousers are ruined. He'll meet her at the hospital. Gary, slightly out of focus, watches on from a distance. Yes. Hmm. A little presumptive. 
just... I don't want to be jumping on Daniel's back again here, but... Yeah, you do. He's... I don't know if Sarah would be bothered at this point. Well, I mean, she does still love him. And they are still married. So she still has some legal authority over his medical condition. They were on a break, but they were still legally married while on that break. Timbot4000 says they were on a break. They were on a break! (laughs) So... Pivot! <laughs> Timbot 4000 says pivot. <laughs> Look forward to that next week. So Debbie, <laughs> Debbie goes into Roy's Rolls for a coffee, but she meets her match and Nina, who tells her to sling her fucking hook. She's barred. Then in comes Sally, shocked that Debbie has the nerve to show her stupid face. Debbie says that she was trying to make the community a better place, like Sally was doing when she was mayor. But Sally says Debbie's just in it for the money. Debbie calls her a grasping Cheshire wannabe, just pissed off that she didn't hold out for more cash. Gloves are off. Seriously. Unperturbed by her lack of caffeine, Debbie goes to the furniture thing to try and get Gary to reconsider selling to Ray. Gary is in no mood to pretend to be civil and says the last thing he'll do is business with that sex pest Ray. Debbie knew that Ray was a bit frisky. Mm. but seems taken aback by Gary's allegations. And now zero for two for Debbie. Yeah. And Gary doesn't get too specific with her either. I think it does say, you know what I'm talking about. Right. You know what he's like. Yeah, you know what he's like, but she, he doesn't point blank say, he tried to rape my sister last night. No. So there's no way in hell I'm I'm doing business with him. And... If somebody would just say this to Debbie, he tried to rape someone last night. If somebody would just say this to her, mm-hmm. maybe she would stop walking around being foolish, trying to get people to do business with him. Mm-hmm. This whole Debbie thing, <coughs> I initially really liked it. I liked that Debbie was in cahoots yeah. with Ray Weinstein and it was great and it was working out really well. But the longer it goes on, and the more it's kind of used as an excuse to have characters say really awful things about women and women in business and have Debbie walk around kind of foolishly doing things. Why is my bre- why is my voice like this today? I don't get it. I don't know, Marge. <laughs> no, how am I? Oh, how am I? Oh, that's, that's, that's suddenly very worse. conscious that I'm bald. <laughs> And yellow. And yellow, yeah. We both said it! You don't like donuts, though. No. No. Dobby does kind of look like Santa's little helper. He does. (laughs) Let's stop. (laughs) Stop, 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 stop. Benny. No. It's it's Bart. (laughs) Benny is Bart. The Roomba is Maggie. (laughs) Well, yes. And Stelly is absolutely Lisa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, dear. I'm going to have to get a blue wig now. And I'm going to have to get a pink car. You know what we're going to be for Halloween next year? (sighs) (laughs) Moving on. You were saying about Debbie. Yes. It seems seems to have fallen apart a wee bit, hasn't it? Well, I don't know what she's doing anymore. No. Because, well, we'll get to it. Right. She seems to be chopping and changing what this whole arrangement is that she has and and what her part in it 
And when and when she does learn new information, she doesn't confront anybody with it. She just kind of plays it close to her chest and Yeah. It 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 does not seem it, it feels like all of this could be very easily resolved. Well, that's true for most soap things. That's it? true, yes. The police are already at the hospital quizzing Sarah, who admits that she had a row with Adam, who had cheated on her with her un- with his uncle's girlfriend, and she gives the copper Peter's address. Sarah insists that she would never hurt Adam, and she went straight home after the row, and as David will be able to corroborate. DS whatever goes, and Sarah looks guilty as fuck. Then Maria goes into the furniture thing to see Gary, who is behaving like a Bond villain in a swivelling chair. He's heard about Adam. It's the talk of the street, says Gary. Ha <laughs> It is the talk of the street. Do you know, he, he had said that, and within 30 seconds of him saying it, I'd had about four texts telling me about it. Five <laughs> texts telling me about it. In fact, within a minute, Chris, yes, that one, had uh, filmed it. Yeah, and sent the video to me, <laughs> and I'm si- I was sitting watching it as it turned out. Right, that's funny. It had happened, but yeah, that was quite funny. I was not. Maria worries that Gary had something to do with it and thinks that he needs a better alibi than just driving around all night. Uh, he lets dim old Maria come to the conclusion that she needs to be that alibi. Uh huh. So Peter's not any cheerier after he's had his shower. Carla tries to talk to him and explains about Adam being in the hospital, but Peter doesn't care and heads out. Carla asks if it was Adam's blood on his sweater, and he makes out uh, as if that's the most outrageous suggestion in the world. <laughs> if the shower hadn't helped Peter's mood, it's helped his memory, as now he says that the blood came from some guy he met on the red wreck who cut his hand on a broken ball. What was the guy's name? Same as my name. All right, mate. Why Peter's really been a complete asshole here. All right, and... Uh- so, what? Some guy cut his hand on a bottle. A and, tiny little jam smudge and you gets tried, on. And you tried to help him by wiping his hand off with just a tiny wee bit of your sweater? Peter tried to wipe him off. But not like that. <laughs> and also... I, yeah. It's, anyway, they needed to make that blood smudge... Much bigger than what it was, is what we're saying. If it is indeed blood, or if he maybe he just kind of like wandered over and fell into that door. Yeah, he's hardly <laughs> he's hardly uh, Mister Orange from Reservoir Dogs in the back seat of Harvey Keitel's car here. Correct. He's not. He's not even. He's hardly uh, carry right after the bucket fell. No. He's a man with a smudge of jam on his white sweater. Seriously. DS Whatever from earlier hangs around outside the back room and hears his conversation before showing himself. Bad time, Mr. Barlow. Peter agrees to answer some questions at the station and tells Carla that he doesn't want her anywhere near him. He is such a dick. I'm sorry. I understand being upset by this. I would be upset by this if you had sex with my uncle's girlfriend. Wait, which, wait. which can't happen anymore because almost all of my uncles are dead and the only one who's still alive is in Montana. It's not impossible, but it's improbable. Yeah, it's very improbable. And we require a lot of travel <laughs> and a certain amount of schmoozing on my part. Yes. That I but, don't have the energy for. But like, if it was just like 
a one-off and because we were like in a terrible fight because I had said awful things about somebody raping you. Oh. Then I don't I don't think I'd be this upset at you for, for having a one-night stand with somebody. I think you would be and I think you'd be uh within your rights to be. I think in real life this situation <laughs> would probably play out the way that it's playing out is that it's, it would probably spell the end of the relationship. However, this is not real life. No. And this is Coronation Street. Correct. And ridiculous things happen. All the time. Pretty much three times a week. All the time. So, in the Coronation Street grand scheme of things, sleeping with your uncle's girlfriend or having your nephew sleep with your girlfriend. <sighs> These things do happen in real life, though. Yeah, I've, I've seen Jeremy Kyle and jerry springer yeah i guess what i'm uh the the point that i'm having most issues with is that peter is not accepting any blame whatsoever as to what's happened right it's all and and not even really passing much blame on adam it's all carla's fault right so anyway back to the maria but she's not happy about having to uh, cover for gary if adam dies she's she says she'd be an accessory to murder and she's not even sure that Gary's innocent despite his protests. She has a son to look after and she doesn't know if she can face going back to prison again was an actual line that Maria said this week. And this just, it proves my point. Yeah. I don't know if I can face going to prison. No, no, that wasn't what she said. I don't know if I can face going back to prison again. Right. Which, I mean, to be fair, lots of people on the street have said. But this is my point. Is that the in the world that is Coronation Street? Yeah, Peter maybe shouldn't be reacting in such a bad way because we know that he's, as we're reminded, slept with the babysitter on on the wedding day. Blah 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 blah. Right. So, yeah. But more recently, said awful, awful things to Carla. Right. Really awful things. That. That nobody has really addressed. And again, I think I said this the other week, but. He apologises and she accepts it. Mm-hmm. But that clearly isn't dealing with it because no. she still has resentment for it. Right. And then she apologises for things and he doesn't accept it. Mm-hmm. And puts all blame for all bad things on her. It's her fault. A few weeks ago, he wanted her to tell him the truth and he'd be fine with it. They could get through it. Right. And even in that scene... When he first finds out that, well, she does have a story to tell, uh-huh. he goes, there's a fucking moon rocket immediately. Yeah. All of this is just an excuse for him to start drinking again. Let's be honest well, sure. here. This is, yeah. this is exactly what alcoholics do. It is your fault that I'm drinking again. Mm-hmm. It's, it is any excuse. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> Especially at this point. So at the hospital, Daniel... I've I just want to go on record again as saying I have always hated this relationship. <laughs> this has always okay. been. I've never liked the whole Peter Carla thing. Never liked it. Carla can do so much better. I can just hear the people hitting unsubscribe on that. <laughs> anyway. At the hospital, Daniel learns that Adam has been put into an induced coma because no one's been put into an induced coma for a while due to his <laughs> fractured skull and bruising on the brain. 
It's too early to tell if he's going to be okay. Meanwhile, Ken's on the phone to Tracy, telling her and Amy to stay in Spain as if it had crossed her mind for one second to come home. Daniel gets an alert on his phone that Peter's been taken in for questioning, which gets Sarah to reveal her hand that she thinks it was him what done it, given how angry he was. Oh, and, that's right. They went to Spain. And Daniel points right out... Right after Oliver died. Daniel points out that she was pretty angry too. During a pandemic. And stands to inherit a pretty penny if Adam dies. Ah. <sighs> Ken calls Daniel an asshole and because tells him to shut is. up. And Daniel clearly forgetting that he was the one what did it a couple of years ago. Right. Seriously. He's like, I was like shouting at the screen saying, don't you remember a few years ago when you tried to kill your dad? Mm-hmm. Don't you remember that? He doesn't remember. <laughs> Back at the Rovers, Jenny's got the washing in the basket, including Bart's lucky hat. I mean, uh, Peter's sweater with a jam on it. Carla quickly grabs the basket, saying that she needs something to take her mind off things, and no one has ever seen Carla do the laundry, and don't think it's suspicious that she started to do it now, the day after her somewhat estranged boyfriend may have attempted to kill his own nephew for getting his whole off of her. Mm-hmm. When John and Jenny are distracted, she moves the sweater into her handbag. Which, it's, it's so tiny. <laughs> it's so minuscule. It may not even be blood. It's not splatter. It's definitely not splatter. It'd be so easy to wash that out. Although she does make, I don't know. She seems to be making more of a big deal about it. Then again, in Knives Out, the whole way that, uh, um, what's it, that, uh. Spoiler. What's his name knows that. Don't spoil it. Somebody else did something. Don't spoil it. Of a teeny tiny bit of something on somebody's shoe. At Sally's. Yeah, she and Tim gossip about Adam being in a coma and Peter getting questioned by the fuzz and being prime suspect. Something that Faye is oddly interested in. Yeah. This was very interesting. Yes, it was. Because I wasn't really counting Faye as being a suspect up until now. I am now. Yeah, and that this whole thing may be a case of mistaken identity and thinking that Adam was somebody else. Because did we think it was weird that... Somebody knew that Adam, Adam was there. No. No. Oh. No. Isn't it weird that Adam decides to sit at the bar with his head on the bar and his head in his arms? He's kind of slumped down. Right. It's like he's using his arms as a pillow here. Right. Why is he concealing his face? He's just got a new bottle of wine. He's got his tunes going. And then he just kind of passes out. Well, he doesn't pass out. He just seems to just take a little break. But it means that you can't see his face. And he's wearing a jacket, kind of a long dashing jacket, a coat, if you will. That's kind of similar to the coat that Ray Weinstein was wearing. Yes. Their hair colour is different, though. But you can't see his face and you can't see his head so much because it's kind of slumped down. You kind of see the back of his head. But then again, it's it's dark in there. Mm-hmm. It's dark. The only light is coming from his wee speaker thing. Right. Hmm. So. Hmm. Am I now thinking that this is perhaps a reason why Faye is now even more adamant about not going to the police about the attempted rape? Hmm. Interesting. I think I'm all in on Faye at the moment. I think it was her. I did think Simon had something to do with it. We kind of find out later on the extent of that. Yes. But no one's... Faye's not appearing on any uh, publicity 
for it. No, of course not. I don't think it's Gary for reasons that we've spoken about. It can't be Gary because he was the roof ninja. I don't think it's Daniel. I don't think anybody's really suggesting that it's Daniel. No, especially the way that he's acting about Sarah. Although, right. in and a way, it could be always he's putting all the accusations on Sarah because... It's, mm-hmm, it's suspicious the way yeah. that he's... Go- but he pushed Ken down the stairs, so it's unlikely to be right. him again. Could it be Sarah? She was washing her hands. She thinks that she has an alibi in David, but she doesn't really. And we'll learn later that she doesn't really have much of an alibi from anybody. No. Peter? He's too drunk. I know, but the way that he, like, shouts at Sarah a little later on, accusing her of doing it. Well, the two of them are probably the prime suspects, given that in most of these situations in real life, it's somebody who's very close to the victim. Right, yeah. So, a uncle or the wife. Right. When there's obvious friction between them all. Hmm. But... Yeah, I did find it interesting that Faye was... But Faye's look was very much... Interesting. Telling, yeah. Yeah. At Speeddal, the Rebel Alliance is discussing how best to approach tomorrow's public meeting. What are their objections to the development? In comes Gary, who claims to be... Is this a be... different storyline? This... Uh, they're all smooshed together on Monday. Ah. In comes Gary, who claims to be on their side, and he thinks that Ray is prime suspect in David's hole. <laughs> uh, Would not like that. And Gary thinks he can prove it. Meanwhile, Debbie is whispering to Ray and the Bistro while forensics, because where do police have forensics now? They're they taking do. photos, which reminded me of the, the scene from Hot Fuzz when he's is his girlfriends in one of the forensic uniforms. Hello. No, I can't watch Hot Fuzz that, again. The, yeah, that's that's the one Coronado movie that I'm. I haven't watched a million times. She I've tells watched him, the others a million times, but Hot Fuzz, I think, maybe once. She tells him that Gary won't sell for all the tea in China, saying that Ray is a sex pest. And Ray pleads ignorance and reckons Gary's just trying to get back with Sarah now it looks like Adam might croak, which doesn't make any sense. No. Then Debbie thinks that Ray has too many enemies around here and suggests that she take over moving things forward now, which doesn't make sense either. Yeah, because everybody hates her right. even more. <laughs> Nina, who works on a part-time basis at the factory, is in the factory handing in some designs for Carla and offering a friendly ear if needed. Once she goes, Carla sets about doing her best to destroy Peter's sweater with a butter, with a bucket of chemicals in the factory break room. Learning nothing from any number of true crime podcasts, Carla eventually disposes of the soggy sweater in the factory's dumpster. Then a very shaky and sweaty Peter has been quizzed at the station. He admits to wanting to kill Adam, but didn't. Instead, he walked around the Red Wreck all night and he doesn't have an alibi because he had a skinful. To make matters worse, the police are quick to tell Peter that the Bistro CCTV was rubbish, which we already knew, and had been knocked out by the power cut. Oh, pig's tits, says Peter, who claims to not have known Adam was in the Bistro, which isn't strictly true. Because Adam said to him, I'm in the Bistro, staying out of everybody's way when there's a little altercation between him and mm-hmm. Simon in the community garden. Peter attempts to throw some more suspects into the mix, starting with Sarah, Gary, any number of clients. Peter's had enough of this and leaves the interview. Then Faye is in the community garden when Ray finds her wondering why his star trainee manager is skiving off. She tells him to go fuck himself and accuses him of trying to rape her. He denies hearing her say no. And then Maria shows up saying that he needs locking up after Michelle and Alia and Bethany and she's not up for believing his pleas of innocence. 
she tells him Gary's heard all about this and he'd be well advised to stay clear. Ray slinks off while Faye admits to Maria that she's not okay with this, but she still doesn't think she can go to the police about it. Maria would rather that the police sort it out before Gary does, but no matter how much Maria makes this case, Faye is not for shifting. Then Peter gets home and admits to Carla that the police think it's him, but have no evidence. Carla says, nor will they, because I've destroyed your sweater. Peter is oddly not happy about this. It had the blood from that bloke up in the red wreck on it. Now she's made him look even more guilty. He's very sweaty when he tells her that he doesn't love her. She makes his skin crawl and he'll move out and it's none of her concern where. Carla says it's okay, she'll move into Roy's. What? Okay, says Peter, that's for the best. Which what? leaves him living at the Rovers with Johnny. Yeah, that makes no sense. Awkward breakfast in the what morning or what? Why what? would why would Carla move out of her dad's place and right. leave Peter there? I understand it's a B and B. I get that. I get that. You know anybody can stay there. It's a B and B owned by her dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. This makes no sense, and I hate this. I hate this hall. This is all Carla's fault, and the show kind of seeming to push that theory by making her say yeah it's and you think that johnny would have something to say about this right yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> and again it's a b&b they could both live there in different rooms now That's so weird. it doesn't make any sense at all i'll move out yeah i think it's for the best what that you move out of your father's establishment and i will stay here in your father's establishment so Sarah gets home at number 8 and David is quick to point out that she's a suspect now she says that she has an alibi because she was home all night and he looks at her as if to say I right then (laughs) and then Harry announces that he heard her go out and says that she's going to have to come up with a more steadfast account of her whereabouts than that yeah that's 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 exactly what Harry said I had to pause that rewind it and watch it a million times and I still am not 100% sure what that kid said. I put the subtitles on. He's a kid. <laughs> still. But there's no way in the world he said what the subtitles said. He said. No. <laughs> Shut up, Harry, says Sarah. I know, Enough of that or quite... I'll tell Santa to jog on. <laughs> so Harry shuts the fuck up. I think that's Harry's first line. Come on. It was kind of cute. It was cute, but because that's a cute kid, it's an adorable kid. But yeah, I didn't know what he said. (laughs) So the police, (laughs) the police come to visit Gary and ask him his whereabouts last night. But before he can answer, Maria pipes up. He was with me. We were at home. We were tucked up before ten. She says, and Gary says what she said. So now on Wednesday kind of moving on to the Sarah stuff and the Gary stuff and we'll come back to the other stuff later sure on Wednesday it's like Oliver was left in hospital for 30 years but no it's Adam who's hooked up to machines at the hospital still gotta use that hospital set as much as possible right just they've taken down the um, the pictures of animals right because Adam wouldn't appreciate it (laughs) Ken tells Daniel that they're looking to bring him round later today they're hopeful he will make a recovery Sarah's at his bed while Daniel continues to gossip about his suspicions to Ken. Detective Daniel reckons it's Sarah or Gary, which means that it's neither. 
At the hospital, Detective Daniel is continuing his unfounded allegations against Sarah, but this time to her face, casting up something that she said to Adam about not being responsible for her actions. She admits to being worried about Adam waking up, but because he might not want anything to do with her anymore. And when Ken announces that the hospital has pushed back waking up Adam until the afternoon shift, Sarah leaves, much to the annoyance of Detective Daniel, who wanted to be who wanted to be mean at her some more. Right, yeah. It's like, okay, they're not going to wake him up. I do have a job and a business to run. Mm-hmm. And also maybe take a shower or uh-huh. something. And also he slept with Carla. Yeah. So. And we were on a break. <laughs> and Roy's rolls... I don't know when Ross became a complete dick in Friends because he was he was always a dick no he wasn't he was very much the 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 bumbling uh, romantic interest for the first few seasons but then things like Pivot happened (laughs) and things like the um, shouting at his boss for eating the turkey sandwich happened and the he just, moist maker. The moist maker. <laughs> what I would call a pilgrim sandwich. That wouldn't have happened in the first couple of seasons. Anyway. It's it's all down to Maurice. They got rid of that monkey. And he had nothing left to love. But that happened in season one. Yeah, I know. I'll too much about right, friends. It, okay, it's the duck and the chick's fault. He never owned them. <laughs> I know he didn't. But they lived across the way. Actually, Ross him. didn't even live in Not that building. He never lived in that apartment. He lived in the building... Cause, cause ugly naked guy. Yeah, he he lived in the building with ugly naked guy. Mm-hmm. Not with ugly naked guy. No. Because <laughs> you could see into Ross's apartment too. That's right. And he could see into, um, into Monica's, which is how he found out about... Monica and... Anyway. And, yeah. And Roy's roles, Mary is quizzing Sarah about Adam's eyes. And comes Maria, and the two of them are frosty immediately. Maria points out that she and Gary were at home all night during the attack, so it couldn't have been them who had done it. And Sarah doesn't believe it for a second, but keeps quiet. And instead, she approaches Gary in the furniture thing. She's been speaking to Maria, and she saw him on the night in question wearing that coat that she bought for his birthday. So the question is, why does he need his wife to lie for him? Gary denies it, plus if she saw him, what was she doing out and about? Mm. He thinks it's more likely to be Sarah what did it. She thinks that he tried to kill Adam just like he killed Rick the Chin. Gary warns her not to go there, but she says he's not about to get away with any of this. So Sarah's back at Adam's bedside with awful awful patter that Detective Daniel Eves drops on. He apologises for earlier. She wonders if he knows what it's like to be blamed for something for hurting someone that you love, and Detective Daniel only knows about blaming himself. Who hates Adam enough to do this? wonders Detective Daniel aloud. And then there are lots of bad noises when the doctors try to wake Adam up because he's he's had a bit of a fit. And right, yeah. they found out once again that putting somebody into an induced coma is much easier than getting them out of it. Right. Detective Daniel tells Ken what happened and uh, Adam's back under sedation again. Sarah is worried that Adam's going to die, but Detective Daniel knows what death looks like, what it smells like, what its favourite subject at school was, and Adam <laughs> is not going about to die. Its favourite flavour of ice cream. He's too strong, but if he does take a turn... Detective Daniel promises to track down who's responsible for this. Butter pecan. And make them suffer. He'll talk to them non-stop about how Bertie finds joy and trash blowing around in the street. Spaghetti shapes that look like things that they aren't supposed to be. And rain that isn't heavy enough to require a jacket. All the while pulling a Liam Neeson. 
And toilet training. But not like that. (laughs) The price of pull-up pants. I will find you, (laughs) says Detective Daniel, and I will kill you. I have have a select set of skills. (laughs) I have an unpaid tax bill, (laughs) and I will do this movie three times. Sarah's back at Adam's bedside, reminiscing about the arguments that they had in the past, and one time Adam asked if she wanted to be right or happy, and she said that she wanted to be Which both. Which is rich coming from Adam, of all people. Well, now she wants to be happy. It's her fault for letting Gary and Rick the chin between them, and she's about to make things right. So at the hospital, Sarah's on the payphone to Crime Stoppers. She has a lead about where a body is buried, and she knows who put it there. On Friday, Sarah already has the paper, which already has a headline, Police search in local woods. Rather on the nose. And on the front page as well. Right. There is no story here yet. From, like, the night before. Yep. Stop the presses. Scoop McGee. (laughs) (laughs) She's got a story to tell. So Brian sees Bernie go home and suddenly looks perturbed about the headline in the Gazette. This time he's looking at the the big one that they have on their um, little sandwich board thing that they have right. outside so Brian goes to speak to her about the watch that they found and advises her to tell the police she doesn't want involved but he says the watch was inscribed as important evidence and there might be a reward in it for her right because that's the only way to get Bernie to do anything right at the she factory wants checks at the furniture thing Gary hears about the police searching the woods on the radio and starts to panic resulting in him being short with Faye who drops by to ask if he knows anything about Adam doesn't work at the factory. Is that the third week that you've been wearing that shirt? <laughs> I think it is. It's a good shirt. It is a good shirt. It's high quality. Yes. Buyer merch. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told that there's a possible reward is all it takes to get Bernie's sense of community and justice all riled up and off she goes to explain to the coppers what she saw in them woods. So Bernie's been questioned by DS whatever, the Adam Copper guy, and she explains about searching the woods with Brian's metal detector, and she explains about the inscription. To Rick the Chin from Laura the Chin. Kiss, kiss, kiss. She sold it to Sarah, and the watch was in demand from Gary, who wanted the, who wanted it, and didn't want them snooping around the woods in the first place, and who broke Brian's metal detector when he found out that they'd been there. Correct. She goes on to explain how it was supposed to be a <laughs> present for Adam and how Gary might have been the one what uh, twatted Adam. This is all very interesting, says DS whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes, because in let's let's remember when Sarah made her anonymous call, she not only said, I know where a body is buried, but also I know who put it there. Yep. So they already have Gary's name from an anonymous source. So this gives them Somebody else saying that Gary is related to this in some way. Was it DS whatever that was looking into the disappearance of Rick the Chin? I can't remember. They all look the same. It was so long ago. It was. This, which but, is the issue here. But these are two investigations. There's the because they they kind of suspected Gary mm-hmm. a little bit, didn't they? Yeah. About the roof and all that stuff. And they've questioned him about Rick the Chin's disappearance already. Right. At least once so now gary's name's come up as being a possible suspect for this adam thing mm-hmm. adam who was supposed to be the recipient of a watch that sarah bought of bernie that was found in the woods that was inscribed to rick the chin mm-hmm. so this all kind of brings these two investigations kind into of the open same, and shut isn't it, it? <laughs> open and shut open and shut well who 
is Sarah the body here? No. But why would she buy a watch that's inscribed to somebody else well, to be- give to give to her husband? Well, because it was a fine quality watch, maybe she could have, you know, had it buffed, buffed off, and put her own inscription there. Maybe who knows? Gary gets Sarah on her way out the factory. She pleads ignorance about whoever tipped off the cops about the woods. If he gets implicated here, he promises to take her and David down with him, thinking that the cops would be very interested to know where Harry's dad is buried. And she reminds him of a promise that he made to her once upon a time. Yeah, isn't isn't he buried... Under the house. Right, where the house that has a... Sinkhole in the backyard now. <laughs> it's very interesting that that's the house that they decided to put a sinkhole behind. Well, they found that body and they blamed uh, Jason's dad, who was dead, for it. Okay, so the body's already been found. Yeah, but the truth about it hasn't come out yet. No, but... And this was like some years ago. It, Gary's like... It's, the way Gary talks about it is as if the body is still under there. Right, which it's not. Yeah. Gary has no leg to stand on here. This is as bad as Scott trying to implicate Johnny in a in a crime that happened 40 years ago. Oh, God, you know, I'd push that out of my head, that whole <laughs> thing that happened when the, the, the geriatric um, <laughs> bistro heist. <laughs> oh, God, remember, that was a thing. It was a thing. That was, that was the only thing that was on ITV for a while. It's... Still kind of a thing, because Johnny has said something to Jenny this week about, you know, the trial starting soon. Ah, So. Too much stuff going on. It does feel like we have a little bit of momentum here. Yeah. As we Finally. approach Christmas. Finally. Christmas episodes next week of this poten- potentially being the uh, one of the main events. Mm-hmm. Which puts Gary front and centre for the second year on the trot. At Christmas time. Right. He is Father Christmas. <laughs> which makes sense because as um as is as is canon thanks to the Rankin Bass. Rankin cartoon, Bass, that's what I couldn't Santa remember. Claus is coming to town. Santa is a redhead. I couldn't Santa remember. Santa is ginger. Stella and I did it's a SpongeBob Christmas for our Patreon. Uh huh. And it's a stop motion episode. Right. And I couldn't remember because of who made uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or the Island of Misfit Toys? You and Jack P. Shepard this week. What is wrong with the two of you? Not not knowing Rankin Bass. I thought Charlie it was something Charlie DeMello knows Rankin Bass. How is it that nobody else does? Is it Rank and Bass or Rankin Bass? I think it's Rankin Bass. I said to still, I thought it was something and something. She couldn't remember it either. It's Rankin Bass. I looked it up and I couldn't find it. What were you searching? Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Hmm. It's Rankin Bass. Anyway, yeah, that's because, on the Patreon. Because, that, because horribly, 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 like, Jack P. Shepard was slagging off the whole narwhal scene and everything in Elf and, and acting like it was really awful animation and stupid. And he they had to explain to him that it was a, you know, it was an homage to Rankin Bass cartoons, which... All of Elf is an homage, really, to Rankin Bass. You know, because the Elf costume is is based upon the Elf costumes in in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 
and everything. And I was so ups- I was I was more upset about this <laughs> than I should have been. But it really upset me. And it really upset me how low their scores were for Elf. I was quite pleased about that. It doesn't stand up. It was funny the first time you watched it, but it's not good on subsequent watches. What I th- it's well, better than fucking Love Actually, though. Well, true. But I think that's more a case of Love actually being voted Papa- up than Elf being voted down. Papadopoulos and Sons is better than fucking Love Actually. <laughs> but Crocodile Dundee is better than Love Actually. What I enjoyed about that episode of the Sofa Cinema Club is... Uh, that Lucy Fallon, who was the guest, who for the entire episode you're led to believe is essentially a female version of uh, Zoe uh, Colson Smith in terms of her, uh, her her movie likes and dislikes. You think that she's going to give us this amazing rating and then she gives it like six and a half or, or something. And uh, Ben Price and Jack P. Shepard think this is hilarious and Colson Smith feels like he's been sold a, sold a ringer here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, Love actually is shit. Yeah, I will die on that hill. So will I. Our next storyline today is <laughs> R.I.P. Tim's fucking dad. On Monday, Tim is thinking about visiting Yasmin with Tim's mum later. Say, uh, Sally is worried about how he's coping, but Tim insists that he slept like a baby today. And Sally says that he's lost his dad and is about to warn him against trying to wave a magic wand when she thinks better off her wording. <laughs> that was funny. Later, Tim's mum and Tim are with Yasmin and Alia's flat. the best flat. lines this week. Yasmin is tidying, and Tim's mum said that she did as much when she got out, was cleaning and fussing over stuff for years before she realised that she didn't have to. Yasmin wants to talk about the funeral, but Tim reckons that Tim's dad can get hurled onto a skip for all he cares. All he's bothered about is Yasmin. Well, Yasmin says that he's lost a dad, and he says, yes, but I've gained a Tim's mum. Tim's mum urges caution and to take things one day at a time. That's right, says Tim. Then one day you'll be like me. Totally over it. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of... It took me a little while to realise that I think an, an awful lot of the, the aftermath of the Tim's dad stuff is meant to be funny. Hey, yeah. Tim being in denial is... I think it's played for laughs. I think Tim is unintentionally funny a lot on the show. And I think a lot of times he is intentionally funny and because he's intentionally funny so much that when it's a storyline that's not supposed to be funny, it's still unintentionally funny. It's like, you know, every comedian ever trying to take a dramatic role to get an Oscar nomination. Right. Like you, Rob Schneider. (laughs) At home, Sally manages to mask her surprise that Tim has asked Tim's mum, oh. Whatever happened to Rob Schneider? He was in that awful Adam Sandler Halloween movie because, of course, he was. You could have just said he was in that awful <laughs> Adam Sandler movie. You didn't have to specify it was Halloween. Well, yeah, it was the most recent one that Hubie's Halloween that Benny forced me to watch. Anyway, Yasmin so- goes off to take a call from Alia and Tim thinks that she's doing away fine. Tim's mum realises that Tim didn't grow up to be chairman of Mensa and then uh, she's further stumped when he suggests that she moves in with him and Sally. And Faye. At home, Sally manages to mask her surprise that Tim has asked Tim's mum to move in with him, although she does think it's a bit soon and maybe not fair on Faye, who's still grieving for Tim's dad. Although Faye doesn't seem to give a fuck one way or another. She really doesn't. And besides, they might all be moving to Hale Barn soon. Great, says Tim. Tim's mum can come with us. And Sally turns away and does an incredible two-second smile fade. Yes. Then Tim's mum is visiting with Tim. It looks like she's... I couldn't work out if she actually has moved in or not. No. 
Tim wants to show off his swimming trophies and then, <laughs> and then he wants to bake with Tim. See, this is meant to be funny. He's showing off his swimming trophies. Right, because... He's regressed because to being was, a child again. Well, and I think that's that's on that's on purpose that he's he's trying to relive his childhood with his mom because he she missed his childhood right, right. i don't know if that's meant to be funny or if it's Swimming meant to be sad it's got to the, be funny the trophies um the trophies it's because earlier sally was getting ready for this you know this charity sale thing and and um, Tim mentions his trophies and says, "Don't, don't, don't give away my trophies." Just like my Mister Main books. So anyway, uh, I would have never thrown away your Mister Main books. Yeah, my mom did. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to bake a nice yule log, and then uh, he tells her about his heart attack, and they settle down to watch Elf. Yes, Elf gets a lot of shoutouts this week on Wednesday. From two separate things. <laughs> I've, I've, I've <laughs> on Wednesday. It's come up in a lot of other things I've watched this week. Coming at the cabin, Alia and Yasmin bump into Tim's mum, who fancies a natter, but Yasmin isn't in the mood for comparing notes and heads off home. Tim's mum explains her predicament with Tim about moving in, and her not being so sure about it. Alia suggests that Tim's mum tries the obvious approach: talk to Tim and be honest with him. So she does, and Tim is looking forward to Tim's mum moving in. Tim's mum doesn't uh, set him right, probably because we're only 14 minutes through the first two episodes. Then they go through a bunch of board games. Tim's mum wants a game of bot- uh, battling tops, and she's getting a picture of how Tim was growing up. Yeah. Then Tim comes across his invoice book from his window cleaning business. Tim's mum wonders why that he ever gave it up, and he says, well, life got in the way. So later, Tim's mum is counting the number of times Tim calls her mum. <laughs> no one told you life was going to be this way. <laughs> Your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life is D-O-A. <laughs> it's like you're always, you're always stuck in second gear. Let's take things slowly. Let's get it right. In second gear. And let's not have me moving in. Sad, Tim agrees. Then Faye comes down the stairs with Discovery to find that Tim is resurrecting the window cleaning business again. He's been in touch with several former customers who are desperate for his services, but not like that. And fuck it, says Faye, I'm in. It's not like I've got anything better to do. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that this week. <sighs> is Tim's dad going to be another one that we don't have a funeral for? Yes. You think? Why? Why would they have... I don't know, maybe. I kind of feel like he doesn't deserve one. Of course he doesn't deserve one, but he's dead. I kind of feel like I kind of feel like a funeral would be a good way for Yasmin to find closure in all of this because she still hasn't found closure in all of this. No, she's still uh she's still very much uh compressed by Tim's dad's presence. Yes. She's not her full self at all. No. She still thinks that uh, she's married to him. I think. She still feels like she's trying to behave in the way that he would expect her to behave. And she still feels an obligation to him as his wife. You know, by wanting to put together a funeral and everything. Which I... the, The minute that they got married... 
uh-huh. way back right. last year, back way from back. Vegas. Yeah. Uh, that was it. I remember that being a really pivotal moment because Yasmin is someone who takes, I'm going to say, the sanctity of marriage here. She takes the sanctity of marriage seriously. Yes. She doesn't just drop trow at the um, drop of a hat sort of no. thing. In that respect, she takes it seriously. So Absolutely. she's not going to just divorce someone and not think that it's a big deal. Right. She's going to try and make it work, which is, which is what transpired, right. which is what we yeah, watched for the year. Which is part of the problem. And she's been absolutely true to that right now. Right, yeah. By fussing over the funeral and being concerned about it. Right. Wanted, want, Wanting wanted to, to talk, be right. Yeah. They, they've got this absolutely spot on. This is mm-hmm. Jasmine, absolutely. absolutely. She's not going to be celebrating and having a party or anything like yeah. that to, to, that she's got rid of Tim's, Tim's dad. dad. So when Tim's mum wants to come and she's getting her kind of therapy from it by mm-hmm. talking about what she went through... Mm-hmm. Jasmine's not anywhere near ready for that. No. Because she is grieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though he's a monster. Right. Yeah, because yeah. she's just kind of finally come to terms with the fact that he's a monster. Yeah. So she's got quite a bit of conflict going on in her head about right. how she deals with this. Right. But she's dealing with it the way that she thinks that she's meant to. Right. Top notch. Yeah. Very believable. Our next storyline today... <laughs> Is that what where Monica gets the turkey stuck on her head? I call this weird and ridiculous because that's what uh, David says at some point where I thought, you know what? If we hadn't already got a episode title, right? Weird and ridiculous. It would be up there, right? On Wednesday, Debbie chases after Abby in the street, desperate to make things right with Kev. Abby doesn't think that'll be possible after the garage thing, but Deb has a plan and she was furious at Ray blackmailing Kev. That's not all Ray did, says Abby, who does everything but tell Debbie that Ray wanted this hole as well. So again, no one's telling Debbie <laughs> the full extent of what Ray's it, been like. It kind of seems like like Abby does spell it out that for for Debbie, we may not have gotten that full conversation, but it seems like she was a she was about ready to tell explained to Debbie that she also had to sleep with him one last time mm. as part of this deal. Right. Peter shows up outside the hospital in pretty poor shape. Ken sees him and asks what he's doing hanging around a hospital car park. Uh-huh. Peter claims to be interested in how Adam is doing, but Ken, probably thanks to wee fisher wife Detective Daniel, is suspicious and wonders if Peter is here to finish the job. And he sends Peter home. Your dad thinks that you're it's, again, contemplating murder. Is believable in this family because mm-hmm. Daniel tried to kill Ken. Yep. Gary's and Peter has tried to kill people before by pushing Billy off a cliff, to which Billy completely recovered 100% and is not but stuck not, in a wheelchair. But or not anything. before becoming uh, dependent on, on opioids. Correct. Gary is heading off to see David. A problem he seems to no longer have. Well, a sulky Maria looks like she might be regretting lying to that policeman. Brian is putting up ambiguous posters about the development. High rise, <laughs> low rent. Meanwhile, Gary has tracked down the water company guy that caused the sinkhole, who should have a story to tell about Ray. And with the promise of possible violence, Abby tags along. 
outside the florist, Simon runs into a trio of people inquiring after Adam. First there's Mary, who seems more interested in Adam's face and eyes escaping unscathed. Then Gail nabs him, and then Shona, who asks him how weird it is that his dad tried to kill his cousin. Some friend you are, says Simon, and he stomps off. Shona doesn't know what she said wrong, and Gail, just like everyone else, tells her to forget it. Mm -hmm. Simon goes off for a seat at the bench next to the cock fish and chips. Peter comes along, not promising never to hit the booze again, but prom- promising to try. Simon is very sure Peter wasn't responsible for attacking Adam, and he's similarly sure it wasn't Sarah, or Sarah who drew the graffiti after she and Peter have a slanging match across the street. Peter, though, is sure it was her what done it. Right. And at that point, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's Simon is responsible for this because he seems very sure that it wasn't Peter. Mm-hmm. The Rebel Alliance and Ray and Debbie are all in speed dial ahead of the council meeting they're having uh, with all the crappy props that are there. The water guy was a blank. He quit his job a week ago. Ray thinks this is hilarious that they think that he bribed the guy to make a sinkhole. How does that work? He hypothetically says that if he was behind it, he'd have already bunged the guy ages ago to do a runner. Right. I'm glad they're kind of addressing this, but they're still kind of leaving it here that this sinkhole was deliberately caused right. by a guy who works for the water company on his own. Yeah. Not a... Debbie scolds Ray for riling everyone up. Ray thinks he's Teflon, but Debbie wants them all on side. They need to approach things differently. Ray isn't interested in a plan B since Debbie now knows that Ray tried to rape Abby. But things have changed. Debbie explains to the Rebel Alliance the plan B. It doesn't affect the factory or the cabin, but it will affect number eight still. She has to point out to David that he actually doesn't own that house anymore. Right, yeah. Finally. You you sold it. Yep. Not yours. And because they now own the property they need for this, all they need is a green light to start demolition. But Ray is not happy about how this is going. No. The Rebel Alliance are arguing amongst themselves. Abby's feeling sorry for Kev having to sell his business, and Davis pissed off. And David is pissed off that his house has an underground grotto that isn't going to get fixed. Meanwhile, Ray is furious with Debbie. He doesn't do plan Bs. Right, yeah. And he seems quite indignant that, you know, that this little lady has has tried to take command of this whole thing. I wish I'd His taken... misogyny is just getting worse. <laughs> I wish I'd taken note of all the places that he insinuates that they had their hole. Because didn't they do it on a plane? And now they did it. He mentioned somewhere else that they did it. Eh. That she quickly scurts over. Yeah. Several marks out of ten for originality. <laughs> a very unwell Peter and Simon arrive at the rovers. Carla seems to be the only person on the planet to notice how much on death's door Peter looks. Because Simon tells her to get to fuck. She's done enough damage. If she hadn't slept with Adam, the police wouldn't be thinking Peter tried to kill Adam. <laughs> I'm not sure about that logic, but anyway, Carla grabs her bag and leaves her over, apologising as she sniffles her way out the door. All she does is sniffle and apologise this week. Right. Sniffle and apologise. Roy still has objections uh, to the development, but David and Abby are agreed that the fight is now over. Ray has enough influence in the council to pull it off, so to speak. Meanwhile, Ray angrily tells Debbie that they need to proceed with plan A for it to make money. He's sick of this plan B talk, and from now on, he's the one that makes the decisions. At the pub, Simon and Peter are having the heart-to-heart. Simon couldn't face losing Peter as well as Oliver, and he could kill Carla for what she's done. Then he says he's off to see Leanne and check to make sure that she's okay, and Peter's like, oh, what a wonderful kid that I've got. So caring of everyone. Right, yeah. But Simon has his backpack outside and has a tin of red paint that he wraps up in a plastic bag and drops <laughs> in the garbage in the gunnel. 
Shona catches him in the act. What a naughty boy. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that she didn't really see anything and asks what he was stashing away. Then she seems to lose interest in this line of questioning and talks about Peter and Adam and apologises. So who does Simon think did it? And all Simon blames is Carla. Shona doesn't think that he should let her get away with it. Ugh. Back at number eight, Shona explains to David how upset Simon is with Carla, what with her peg and Adam, and she advised him to give her hell. David makes a noise. Is this a bit where Shona can't remember Carla's name and calls her Karen? I think it might have been. Hmm. And yet she remembers other things, like growing up on the estate. Simon goes into Roy's roles and Carla is already there. Simon isn't in the mood for a friendly chat and Carla invites him to get off his chest forcing Roy to remind them both that this is a cafe, not the WWE wrestling or therapy. Simon snaps at Roy. This has fuck all to do with you, old man. Roy advises him to converse maturely, act his age, or get the fuck out of my cafe, you puny wee shitebag. Nevertheless, Simon blames Carla for everything. She's surprised that Adam gets away scot-free, which is a good point. Yes. She wants to help. After what she and Adam did, says Simon, it's, it's the least they both deserve. And that doesn't make sense either. No. So it's it's a, a belated good point from Carla that yeah. just because Adam's in a coma, he gets away with everything. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So Debbie goes to see Kev, who isn't pleased to see her. She wants to help. He wants to pick up Jack from football. She's going to try to He's get... always his... picking that kid up from football. <laughs> I know. She's going to try to get his buildings back. She knows how to deal with Ray and she can get the garage back. No problem. She knows what it means to him. Kev points out that she should already know what it meant to him and still she let it happen. Yeah. So he won't be holding his breath. And she's like, she keeps insisting that she had no idea how. Well, she thought it was a legitimate deal. She didn't think it was blackmail. Right. But if she truly understood what those buildings meant to Kev, you'd think that she would know that he would never sell true hmm. on friday ray is locking up the bistro closed until further notice further notice being tomorrow apparently mm-hmm. he has some low-grade banter about being fully booked for christmas and toying with the idea of doing whodunit nights when ray drops his keys shona is the only one to notice but she keeps it to herself and then presumably nabs him when no one is looking so he keeps his car keys and the keys to the bistro on two separate chains then yeah why well he doesn't open them up Open up the bistro every every day, wouldn't I thought? Yeah, but when when he have a when he have because you can have more than one set of y- keys to a lock. But you have to run it by the gods of plot first, and I think they have said <laughs> denied. People keep getting into that bistro. Simon's dressed like Rupert the Bear and Roy's rolls, and Nina warns him that if he kicks off at Roy again, she'll slap him into next week and ban him. Shona tries to stand up for Simon, but is also threatened by a ban. Nina is taking no shit from no one. So Simon is outside the cabin, reading his fishing magazine called Angling About. Along comes Shona, who reckons that she has something more interesting for the two of them to get up to. But not like that, I hope. I really, really hope. Yeah, seriously. Then Daisy turns up at the Rovers again, and she (laughs) and David uh, have a little bit of banter between the two of them, a little bit of chat but he's not interested and just wants a beer but Jenny's nowhere to be seen so Daisy goes behind the bar and nabs a bottle for him just as Jenny comes out and Daisy immediately drops David in it, saying that he nicked the beer Right Even though it's still in her hand Right. So Shona has put the keys to good use and has let her and Simon into the bistro She hits a bar to make a cocktail and Simon says that he's having whatever she's having 
And then I have a chat about him not wanting to turn out to like be an alky like his old man, and she moans about not being a great mother. And later, Daisy and David are now actually flirting in the rovers, and it sounds like Daisy has been getting some inside information on David from Jenny. When well, Daisy is called off to help Jenny, David takes a smug swig of his beer. Still got it, he says to himself. So I guess uh, that whole fiancé Lee thing is officially over. Then she's flirting with other people. Eh. <laughs> she's just human, I guess. Oh, yes. Yes. Because you only have to be human to find <laughs> David Platt attractive. Later, Shona's pished and discovers that she's lost the bistro keys, so she and Simon start a sweep of the place to find them. They have no luck and end up hiding under the tables in the main restaurant area. Shona reluctantly grabs her phone from her arse pocket and she eventually, after a brief conversation with Gail, who answers David's phone, manages to explain that not only has she lost the keys, but she and Simon are actually locked in the bistro. How does that happen? How is there not more than one door? She shut the door and then locked the door? Well, your point comes up in a wee minute. Now David's outside the bistro but there's no way that he can get in and he tells an increasingly pissed Shona to look harder for the keys, questioning why she was up there with Simon Barlow in the first place and if she can't find the keys he's going to have to kick the door down, which Daisy, who's hanging about like uh-huh. a bad smell, yeah she quite likes the sound of that, what a mm. tough man. <laughs> She's still on the phone, Shona wants to know who Daisy is. Remember Shite Club? Blah blah blah, blah. oh god. God, they really do just give us some awful storylines, don't they? For David. For Even- David. Eventually, Shona finds the keys in the fridge, unlocks the door, and throws the keys to Simon, who leaves them behind the bar. And that whole thing is done in such a way that, you know, well, that's going to crop up again. Yeah. Outside, Shona is keen to know just who the fuck Daisy is. Everything is confusing between Daisy and David and Simon and Shona. Then Daisy spots a fire exit to the bistro. Yeah. They could have just used the fire exit. Correct. Then Ray's associate is on his way along the street, so everyone legs it, leaving Daisy standing there, going, what the fuck just happened here? At the bistro, Debbie gets a skinny from Ray's lawyer. It's Miles again. And Ray is selling his hotels. He's skint, just like everyone else involved in this investment. Except for Debbie. When Ray comes in, he's not pleased to see Debbie accusing her of threatening a multi-million pound development for the sake of a plan B in her brother's poxy garage. The investors are all wanting her head on a stick. So Debbie goes round to see Kev and gives him the plan B script again. And they're all calling her Karen. Karen Brady from Off Off The Apprentice. She's trying to help, but needs his help and wants his forgiveness. It's progress, things change, she says. She could fuck them all over, but she's prepared to go back to the drawing board for him and Jack. But Kev doesn't trust her, and so she leaves. Don't say I didn't try, she says. So Debbie goes back to the bistro to see Ray. She's cancelled the investor meeting. Fuck plan B, she says. Let's tear down as many houses as possible. In fact, let's tear (laughs) down more houses than we absolutely need to. Grr, says Ray, but in a good way. But in a bad way. But in a bad, good way. Spite is a good motivator, he says. Yeah, so once again, we have a character who's a baddie, attempt to do the right thing, kinda, once. And then when somebody rightly says, you're a baddie and I can't trust you, turns around and immediately yeah, it's a Gary a thing baddie. All over yeah, again. it's yeah. Gary all over again. Or it's the Roomba. <laughs> Try to go from room to room. The way that Debbie's gone from the bistro back to Kev's, then back again, and back again, and back again, again, again. (laughs) 
<laughs> number eight, Gail isn't happy that Shona broke into a crime scene with Simon Barlow. This behaviour can't go on. David defends her. He's tired of it all. He doesn't know how much more he can take. He just wants five minutes of peace. So Gail goes to stare at the wallpaper in her room and then decorates the bathroom. <laughs> Much like the room that's constantly getting stuck in the bathroom and <laughs> bumping right. up against the toilet, shouting, Pivot! <laughs> I think that was Pivot. It distorted so much, it's hard to tell. Pivot! Later, Ray is confused when the bistro seems to have been open earlier, despite the fact that he was sure that he'd locked up. He finds the keys where Simon left them, then stares up at a CCTV camera, which might just be more operational than you let on to DS whatever. Interesting. Because if that camera is working... And he lied about it. And despite the fact that there was a power cut, but he lied about it, would that camera then have picked up whoever twatted Adam? I think so. And why would he lie about not being able to see who twatted Adam? This has been a big deal that's been going on for a little while, all all the while back to uh, Craig trying to give him a safety demonstration of whatever it was, or a security mm-hmm. demonstration. When he mentioned that the CCTV was more like 8-track. Right. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, it's been quite some time that he is. He's been downplaying the CCTV for a while. CCTV is... But now he looks up at it, thinking, well, I'll have captured whoever was in. Really? Hmm. I don't know. Well, the power's back on. Sure, but if he was lying about it not it being terrible and not picking anything up, and yet it is picking stuff up, but he's been lying about it for some time because he lied right, about yeah. it to Craig because he said to Craig it was well, shite. yeah, well before the power outage. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Are we led to believe that there's a possibility of a thing going on between David and Daisy, or that's maybe in our future? I think so because all of a sudden. David says to Gail he's ready to give up. that he's ready to give up all of a sudden now that things are significantly better than they were. Uh-huh. Well, people just refuse to tell Shona what she's doing wrong. It's fine, don't worry about it. Everything you said, that thing that you said that was wrong, I'm not going to explain to you why it was wrong. It's fine, don't worry about it. Yeah, because they've all kind of gotten to a point which Shona points out to Simon that everybody's kind of in her life has kind of gotten to a point where they just accept it. Yep. And just laugh it off. Yeah. Which they've done from the start. And that's always been the problem, I think. She was taken out of that hospital way too early. Yeah. They stopped her um, therapy with that Aaron dude Who way was too worthless. early. Yeah, worse than useless. Yeah. And this, this is meant to have been funny. And it, it was ah, never funny. It's never been funny. Yeah, I mean, the way he's talking to Gail... You know, and I mean, part of that is that he's going to lose his home and he he doesn't really have the heart right. to, to, to be honest with Gail about it either, I don't think, because I don't think Gail is aware that she, he, she's aware that he sold it, but that they get to rent it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she's necessarily aware that they're going to get it, that it's going to get knocked down. Yeah. She points out that it used to be her home too. Right. Which doesn't cut anything with David. No. Our penultimate storyline today, Toy's good news. 
just a few scenes. Toy is at Leanne's letting her and Nick know that today is the day that they find out if they've been approved for that fossil thing that we've all forgotten about. Leanne and Nick are both fairly chirpy about it until Toya leaves and they both are a bit more agitated but they're still overall supportive. Leanne tells Nick to get back to work and he's got a message to phone Sam back. So he goes to the community garden and leaves a message on Sam's voicemail suggesting that they should go, that he should go visit Sam for a change rather than have Sam do his usual traipsing halfway across Manchester on his own. It's very interesting, isn't it, that Nick has never gone to Natasha's. There still is that 50 grand thing that's bothering me that hasn't been resolved yet as well, that Natasha was going to uh, give to Oliver's fund if she, only she gets and she did. Nick's bank account. Well, never, it was never mentioned again. Right, because she'd given the money and that was a red herring, I think. There's still something weird going on here. Right. When Nick gets home, Toya is already there and she announces that they've been approved. Leanne is pissed off that Nick and Toya are still tiptoeing around her. Neither of them are responsible for Oliver's death, she says. That's pretty much as far as we get with that. Yes. So I'm glad about the fostering mm. thing. Yes, me too. Our final storyline today, Todd the Prick. <laughs> on Monday, at the factory, Todd the Prick is scooshing himself with aftershave that Paul calls Stench of Death, which again would have been a contender for the episode title. Todd's shower has been broken since the power cut, so Paul gives him his keys to use their shower, and Todd smirks like a bit of a prick. Mm-hmm. So Todd goes round to Billy's, has a quick snoop, reads a leaflet that seems to, to that seems to be to do with Paul's counselling about displaying integrity and professionalism at all times. He hears someone coming up the stairs and quickly starts to undress as he quickly runs into the bathroom, just as Billy comes in. Billy hears the movement, and assuming it's Paul, begins to get undressed too for some afternoon delight in the shower. Mm-hmm. When Todd comes out with his shirt undone, Billy Moon walks across the room and thinks that Todd broke in. Todd explains and shows him Paul's keys. Billy quickly backtracks, but not as quickly as he backtracked across the living room, and invites Todd to stay for lunch with him in summer. Todd smucks like a bit of a prick. Because he is one. After lunch, Todd is still pretending to be hurt by Billy's reaction earlier and Billy promises to sort his head out and it won't be so awkward in the future. On Wednesday, Todd has a day off work and like most people with a day off work, he's walking by his place of work while a chatty Kirk tells him that Paul has called in sick today. So Todd goes to visit Paul uh, and uh, Paul's had a bad call on the helpline last night from this kid. Todd offers an ear, but Paul says that he can't talk about it because there's confidentiality now these days. But unperturbed by this, Todd suggests that they get wired in the cans of beer. So later, Todd and Paul are chatting about the weirdest place that they've got their hole, and Paul claims, clams up because his weirdest place that he got his hole was Kel. Conversation moves to the helpline again, and again Paul is about to talk about the kid, and again Todd is keen to get him to spill, but Paul backs away. Todd thinks he needs to talk to this. He needs... Todd thinks he needs to talk to someone about this. So a few beers later, and Paul has already mentioned the kid's name, Will, and how he wants to tell him what to do. Todd has noticed the helpline is looking for other volunteers and offers his services just as Billy gets home from a supposed conference. So Todd has signed up. Billy pretends to be impressed. Todd leaves and Billy is curious for more information. Todd has run out of chances, he says, and Paul thinks Billy is all cynical now that he's become an archdeacon. Hmm. It's like... Isn't your deal all about second chances? <laughs> right. He seems to know more about Christianity than Billy does. Surprise, surprise. On Friday, the three of them are in Roy's roles. Todd has gotten them from informal chat at the helpline and Billy has been called to do the Christmas <coughs> sermon. He can't be asked writing something from scratch and is trying to plagiarise himself, thinking 2008 was suitably shite to be a contender for 2020. 
There's also something about setting up a stall that Paul and Todd managed to avoid by going to the helpline thing, and Billy makes a big deal of shuffling his papers. Yeah, it's this charity thing that Sally was cleaning up for. Tim didn't want her to give his trophies away. Everyone at the help desk is nice to Todd, and a guy goes off to give him an application form. Paul's at work and Todd starts texting someone on his phone, probably the same person he was texting a couple of weeks ago, or phoning a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. asking if he was interested in a gig. Mm-hmm. Later, Paul is on the phone with this Will bloke, trying to hand him off to his boss, but Will isn't having it. Off to the side, the boss has explained to Todd that the kid will only speak to Paul. And back with Paul, it looks like Will is trying to get Paul's personal number, which Paul is against doing. And we get the idea that Will might be working for Todd at this point. While Todd watches on, Will successfully pressures Paul into handing out his personal number. So at the end of the shift, Paul is jumpy and Todd fancies Paul's boss. They head back to Roy's Rolls and Paul opens up that this Will kid reminds him too much of himself and so he gave out his personal number, which he shouldn't have done. Todd wonders what Paul has got himself into. Paul doesn't want any of this broadcast. So Billy has a stall outside and he's selling goods that he's stolen from dead parishioners' houses. Paul and Todd are hanging around not helping when Paul gets a text, presumably from Will, and makes an excuse to go back to the flat to deal with it. And so he's on the phone to Will, who we now understand wants to meet up with Paul, who protests again, says it's against the rules, but then agrees to meet up. And later, back at the stall, Billy's cuddling a big banana when Paul explains <laughs> that he's having a hard time with this Will character and he doesn't know what he's doing and he's making things worse. But not like that. He gets a text and then rushes off claiming that Kirk is having a nightmare at work, which, let's face it, could mean anything. <laughs> Todd is a smug prick as he watches Paul hurry away. And now it's dark and it looks like uh, we're in a dodgy back alley where, uh, where Peter got mugged the other week when Paul meets the 14 or 15-year-old Will. Paul doesn't know what he can do for Will like this, but suggests going to social services. Will explains that he's sick of being scared and he has no one to talk to apart from Paul and announces that he wants to move in with Paul. Paul can't do it and no one must know about this. They can only talk at work. Will calls it a waste of fucking time and stomps off. This country does nothing for people like me, says Will. And Paul just lets him go. So when Paul gets home, Billy's still writing... This country does nothing for me, (laughs) says a 15-year-old child. When Paul gets home, Billy's still writing his sermon and seems pissed off with with Paul. Paul's in his rainbow unicorn onesie later, and Billy is having problems with his sermon still. Paul, he says, is a far better example, trying to help that kid. But it reminds Paul that rules are there for a reason, and then tells a story where a woman volunteer broke rules one time and ended up getting everyone killed, including Archduke Ferdinand. Gulp! (laughs) says Paul. Then we cut to Will back in that dodgy back alley and Todd appears out of the, sh- the, out of the shadows. How does uh, Will apparently is enjoying this acting gig that, that Todd gave him and Todd confirms that Paul is well on the hook. When Billy finds out he'll dump Paul and go back with Todd and Will points out that this plan is pish. But Todd doesn't care. We've only just begun he sings. And that's how we end this week's episodes. It is a pish plan because you know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is Billy's going to find out that Paul broke the rules. Billy will be angry. Billy Billy will be disappointed and yet secretly happy because Paul messing up means that Billy gets to shepherd Paul some more, which is what gets him off. Right. And they'll fall even more in love. Just like the last time Todd had a really sucky plan. Right. So, it's not going to work. It's dumb. Todd's a prick. Yes. Eileen's son.
I'm just so not invested in any other storyline. Don't no. care. No. Don't care. No. I've, I've gone off Billy. Billy can dump <laughs> Paul as much as he likes. I don't like that. Come back. He can go back with Todd. I don't care. Or he cannot. I don't I care about care that either. I care because I care about Paul's feelings. Paul would be better off. Mm. How many rainbow unicorn ones they deserve better than Our, Billy? He could get it anywhere, let's be honest. <laughs> Unfortunately, the, the only other options he has on the street are Sean Eesh. and James. Eh. James might work. That might work. They're better, they're better age-wise. But you've got James uh, sidelined for, for Craig at some point when Craig decides to come out. The Baileys are... The Baileys are... Might, might as well not be there now. Yeah. Mightn't they? We, we, Ed it was part of the protest, and only Ed. Wait, was Michael there too? I don't remember seeing Michael. No. I. It's so disappointing how very... How, how little the Baileys get to do in this show. It's really disappointing to me. Yeah. I'd, I'd much rather sad. a Bailey storyline than this push with uh, Billy, Billy and, and Todd. And Todd. Todd. Yeah. We've, a character we've, that did not need to come back. So we, we had uh, a brief homophobia and racism storyline. We had the uh, the Grace storyline, which I admit... The Grace storyline was pretty good. And a great reveal. Yeah. And then... Nothing happened in the back end of that, which is kind of fair enough. Although Michael Although does know that he's going like, to be a dad, but, right. but what's happening yeah. with that? So we what's, don't know. Yeah. What's happening with James that uh, where the county we have absolutely no idea. No. How is he dealing with uh, being out now? We right. have we have no idea. No. Apart from that one time in the dressing room when time. everything seemed to go okay. Yeah. I mean, Michael the, what, works at the factory. We've had lots of scenes at the factory, and Michael could be there. There's plenty of things that Michael could be a part of. This is how characters like Nina get best newcomer. It's not just through their storylines. It's through their little incidental bits where they're where they're little constants in some scenes. Right. And Nina Where she's always the one outside sweeping the steps so that she can chat to all these other characters. Helping other storylines along, exactly. Yeah. Right, because she gives advice. You know, she talks to Daniel about about Adam a little bit this week. And Daniel seems to think that Nina is interested in him, which she's very much not. Although, wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> because we've had something like this before where the two of them are really into, you know, Victorian romantic novels and stuff. They'd have stuff to talk about. They just don't give the Baileys a chance to have that. Right, Because yeah. they moved, and I think they moved Aggie quite rightly out of Roy's roles into the NHS, and that was a, a timely move for that right. to happen, but then they've done nothing with it. Right. She's in the hospital, she works at the hospital, we're in the hospital an awful lot. Why is she but not... But inducing comas left, right and centre. Why here? is she not one of Adam's nurses? I mean, she was briefly in the Oliver thing... Which far you took too, exception to. Because she was far too interested in it. But then she was completely taken out of it. Right. She goes from being there every day to not being there at all. Mm-hmm. And Ed I guess she is on the COVID ward, so she she can't do... She can't really be around very much. Wouldn't it be interesting to have an Ed as part of the 
um, the demolition plan and knowing what's going to happen to the street and he's having a crisis of conscience Conscience. because he doesn't know whether to tell people or earn a big big chunk of money but we don't have him in it either yeah he was part of that protest he knows how to use a bulldozer and stuff and yet it's abby who gets to jump in and try to well ed wouldn't have knocked over that power thing which is the problem right but still we want more of the Baileys, please. Just use them right. Yeah. See how it goes. Your moment of the week. What was your moment of the week? I don't know. I wasn't really thinking about it. <clears throat> Sally on the phone? Nah. Learning about Debbie? Nah. We both laughed at that. It was funny, but it's not a funny moment of the week. No, the moment of the week can be funny. It can. doesn't have to be dramatic. Uh, wow. Uh, Sarah, finally, Sarah's little monologue to, to Adam in a coma, and then Sarah making the phone call to the police. Yeah, I like that she, know- I like that she finally... She's finally, 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 you know, tipped the police off to Rick the Chin. Yeah, I, I, can, I can get on, on board with that. That whole, uh, do you want to be right or happy? Yeah. And she decides that she wants to be happy, so she's therefore going to do the right thing. Right. Yeah, there we go. That's our... Whew, that was tough to get this week. Mm. Tough to get. I feel like we've, we've earned whatever. Mm-hmm. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week now. High rise, low rent. <laughs> really? Yeah. The, the whole conversation about Brian's stupid signs. <laughs> I quite like the... Um, <laughs> and him, I, him him, arguing about how good they are. I liked the analysis of it, though. You liked that? I liked the fact that they were, they were really caught you up in the minutiae. the show completely stopped. Stopped, yeah. To talk about stopped. the minutiae about... The signs. I wish that, that would happen more often. Just somebody correct somebody else's grammar for a change, <laughs> you know. I, I'm happy to give it bore a moment of the week, but I, I quite enjoyed it. Or is it during the um, Rebel Alliance meeting when Brian says that he's made signs and and Abby <laughs> shouts him down, saying, "Hey, I was going to make the signs, and I bought the felt tip pens from you." That's actually more likely to be moment of the week. <laughs> That's fine. Let's give it to high rise low rent. That's fine. That's, That's our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up yes, for Christmas please. then? Well, not for Christmas because we'll be back next Friday. Yeah, but Christmas will have passed by then. That's Christmas Day, isn't it? Friday? Or Thursday, Christmas Day. Friday's Christmas Day, which will have passed by the next time that we're doing this. Oh, yeah. Because we do it on Saturday now. And have been doing it for the best part of a year. Yes, I know. You really struggle knowing when Christmas is, don't you? I find this, I find this a peculiar, a peculiarly, a peculiar. Say it for me, please. Peculiarly. American thing, of not knowing when Christmas is and not knowing how many days are in a month. I've had conversations about both with people frequently. And yet you can't it's say always, the word peculiarly. It's always, you can't say, you have a hard time with adverbs. It's always December 25th. Also scheduled. Always. 
I say schedule perfectly. Yeah, anyway. instead of schedule. If you've ever stolen goods and family heirlooms from Mrs. Driscoll's and then tried to flog it at a Christmas market, let us know if there was much profit in it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also our address on Skype for voicemail and PayPal. If you want to chuck a couple of bucks into our virtual tip jar, we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel, links to which you can find on our Twitter bio or on the other stuff page of thetalkofthestreet.podbean.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or on your podcast provider of choice. Timbot4000 says happy holidays everybody. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with a Boxing Day special off the talk of the street. Boxing Day's not a thing over here. That's for me. Yeah. Bye! And the cats. And the Roomba. Roomba loves to bump into boxes. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>